So this weekend, I want to just start tonight by giving a little brief introduction to kind of what we're going to talk about this weekend, and then we'll we'll jump into our our first session. So um, just by kind of way of introduction to the series itself, we'll start there. If you have a Bible, though, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1. That's where we're going to be, and that's actually where we're going to stay uh, for this weekend. And you can uh, turn there, so we're ready to jump in when the time comes. Hebrews chapter 1. So my, uh, as Joe mentioned, I am married and have a two-year-old son. We just had a little girl born two weeks ago. Um, and my wife and I, for our two-year-old son, we have these like little questions that we always ask him to try to teach him key truths about, uh, about Christianity and stuff. We'll ask him, who is God? Who made you? Uh, uh, things like this. And sometimes, um, he usually will get the right answer, but sometimes there'll be this moment where he looks at me. He goes, uh, Jesus. And that's, that's his answer if he doesn't know. And if you've been around a church at all, you've been into a children's church, you've probably heard that plenty of time. Uh, if you don't know the answer, the answer is probably Jesus. Uh, and it's, it's always cute. Uh, it's comical. But there's also a great deal of truth to it. Um, because according to the world of Scripture, everything really is about Jesus. Uh, in one way or another, he really is all of uh, the answer. In the words of the Apostle Paul, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so my hope for uh, this weekend is that we would grasp something of that reality, uh, that we would see that Jesus Christ is supreme, um, and that uh, the world and your place in it only makes sense when you understand that, when you understand that he is indeed uh, supreme. And so Jesus Christ and how his person and his work changes everything. That's really our theme for this weekend. But we only have a weekend, so we can't talk about everything. We can't talk about how Jesus Christ changes everything. And so I want to, over the course of our three sessions, kind of zoom in on three areas of human experience that all of us uh, desire and all of us are, are, are want. Uh, and those three areas are our desire for truth, uh, our desire for absolution or pardon, and finally, our desire for uh, freedom and security, right? Every one of you in this room wants to know uh, what is true, what is real, what is right. All of you want to know, am I enough? Am I okay? And you all want to know, uh, how can I flourish? How can I know freedom? How can I know true security? And I want to suggest to you that Jesus Christ in his person and his work answers all of these uh, desires. And if we wanted to answer with the children, we could just say Jesus, but I think we could say more than that, and so we will say more of that, more than that. And we're going to do so by using uh, what has classically been referred to as Jesus's three offices. Now, you might think, oh dear, here he goes, right? Um, and, and, but the threefold office of Christ uh, are that he is the prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king. And I, I know that when you hear those titles, you might just kind of scratch your head in confusion or think, oh, God, they all went to that school, didn't they? Uh, and I understand. But because they're titles and roles, right, that seem a bit foreign to us. They seem like they're from a bygone era. We don't talk much about prophets, priests, uh, and, and not even that much about kings. But I hope that, that by the end of this weekend, whatever confusion you might have, you might actually gain some clarity on these three offices of Christ. And, and gain uh, a deeper appreciation for how, how Jesus, as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king, answers to some of the deepest human desires that we 
possess, that he answers some of the fundamental questions that we have uh, as we go through this world. And so our, our launching point for this weekend for talking about Jesus as prophet, priest, and king is the book of Hebrews. This is a, an ancient sermon, really, that is all about the supremacy of Jesus. From the first sentence to the last sentence, the author of Hebrews wants to show you that Jesus is better. But we're just going to camp out in the first sentence. Uh, in verses 1 through 4, which in your Bible uh, is likely broken into many sentences, but in the original language is one unbroken sentence, all focused on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so without further ado, let's uh, jump in and read our text and then pray, and we'll, we'll start this evening by looking at Jesus Christ, our prophet. It reads as follows, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we uh, acknowledge that it is uh, sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, open our ears now, you'd incline our hearts, God, uh, to your word, that you'd show us wonderful things. May we see Jesus with the eyes of faith, and may we receive and rest upon him alone, we ask in his name. Amen. And well. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, it feels like truth is something that is very hard to come by these days. Uh, in 2022, uh, Merriam-Webster chose as their word of the year uh, gaslighting. Now, um, none of us wants to be gaslit. If you've, if you've forgotten what the definition is, uh, Webster defines it this way. The act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. The word actually comes from a 1938 play uh, in a movie where a husband tries to convince his wife uh, that she's crazy by telling her that the, uh, by telling her, or he lowers the gas lights in the house and then tells her they're not actually dimming and that she can't trust her perception and he wants her to, to go insane, right? Uh, and, and, and that's kind of uh, a phenomenon that you might experience, not with gas lights, but in, in a very real way. And Merriam-Webster says that gaslighting is really the word for our time because we live in an age of misinformation, of fake news, of conspiracies, of, of deep fakes, of Twitter trolls, and this is our time. And if that's the age that we live in, right, none of us wants to be here, right? All of us want to know, you want to know what is true. You want to know what is real. You want to know what is right. And I think that this innate desire for truth is actually what fuels a lot of the misinformation in our world today, right? Life always is and always has been complicated. But you add to that uh, the advent of social media, a 24-7 news cycle, and it really feels like everything is out of control because all of that complication, all of that complexity, all of that chaos is amplified. And it's ceaseless, right, day in and day out. And so we don't like random, we don't like chaos, we don't like ambiguity. And so enter the conspiracy theory, right? 
what is a conspiracy theory but an opportunity to offer you a, a vision of truth? It's giving you uh, something that makes sense of the chaos of your world. And so there's people who are increasingly attracted to conspiracy theories. Uh, and if it's not conspiracy theories, think about people like Joe Rogan, uh, Jordan Peterson. I'm not saying that they're conspiracy theorists, but think about people like Rogan and Peterson. Why do so many people love them? I think part of it is because they sense that they are in the know, that there is this sense that, that, that Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, and pick your favorite podcaster or YouTube, YouTuber, they have access to how things really work. And people listen to them because they want that kind of access. We want to be in the know. We want to we understand what is real. We want to understand uh, uh, what is right. And so all of us, in short, really what all of us want is we want a prophet. We might not ever use that word, but that's what we want. We want a prophet because a prophet is one who reveals truth. And so we want someone who can lead us into truth, someone who can help us make sense of this world and make sense of our experience in it. And the author of Hebrews sees that. He understands that. And he looks at us and he says, Jesus is your prophet. He points you uh, to Jesus. And, and this is not something that the author of Hebrews was just kind of like projecting on Jesus, uh, maybe making, hoping that Jesus would be this kind of person. This is something that, that Jesus, uh, this is how Jesus himself understood himself. It's why he would say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Right? When Jesus says that, he's, he's saying, I am ultimate reality. And the way that you access ultimate reality is through me. It's in me. He says elsewhere, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so Jesus wants you to know that if you want insight into what's real, if you want to understand what's right, if you want to understand what's true, then you have to hear him because he is the very revelation of truth. And for someone to say something like that, right, I am the way, the truth, the life, right, either this person is deranged, uh, this person is completely uh, self-deceived, or they are who they say they are. He really is this great prophet, the revealer of truth, the one who will lead us into truth and the fullness of life that comes with it. And so in order to kind of appreciate more of this, to understand more of the way in which Jesus Christ is our prophet, we're going to look just at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll do it with three points. First of all, truth unfolded, second, truth fulfilled, and finally, truth applied. Truth unfolded, truth fulfilled, and truth applied. First of all, there's truth unfolded, right? One of the, the kind of controlling claims of these opening verses is that God has spoken. The author of Hebrews opens up his letter and he takes it as self-evident that God exists and that God has spoken. These are his launching points. And, and that's the focus here is God's communication, God and his communication to uh, humanity. And so if you and I want to know, I, I've been saying, right, that we desire to know what's true. We want to know what's real. We want to know what's right. Well, if there's any place to go for the truth, it would obviously be God. If anyone knows what's going on, it's probably the one who made everything. It's probably the one who sustains um, everything. Which means that 
our desire for truth, I think, is actually a desire to know God. That the fact that you want to make sense of your world, of the world, is, is a reflection of the fact that you were made for God. You were made for the one who is himself, the way, the truth, and the life. But, but there really is a big issue here, because if God is truth, and he is ultimate reality, and he knows all things, how is it that we, finite creatures, are ever going to access him? Right? There is this, this divide, this gap. He, he exists in an entirely different category than us. And so we want to know truth, but how do we get truth? Can we actually access truth? And some people would say that that's precisely the issue, right? That, that yeah, you want to make sense of the world, but you can't. You can't know truth as it really is. And it's at this point that a lot of people will bring in kind of this, the illustration of the six blind men and the elephant. Have you ever heard this parable? It goes like this. The parable is this. There's, there's six blind men, and they're all touching an elephant. And they and they're walk up a hill, they touch the ele- elephant, and they begin to describe what they feel. Now, r- remember, none of them know that this is an elephant. And so one man kind of touches the belly of the beast and says, I think it's a wall. And then the other uh, grabs his ear and says, mm, maybe a fan. And then this other one comes along, grabs the tail, and says, I think I've laid hold of a rope. And on and on it goes. They each grab a part of the elephant, and, th- and without them knowing really what they're feeling. And you say, okay, what the heck is, <laughs> what, the, what is the point of the story? The point of the story is that we are all blind men when it comes to ultimate reality. People will often use this parable to make the point that you and I can kind of only grasp part of the truth, but none of us can see the whole picture. You might have a fan, I might have a tail, you might have a wall, but none of us knows it's an elephant. And people often use this as a parable to make the point that we all have takes on the world but none of us can actually access truth. None of us really knows what ultimate reality is. And, and the parable, though, it, it breaks down. Because the whole thing is told from the vantage point of a narrator who knows that it's an elephant. Right? The, the story only works if you and I know that, that what they're touching is indeed an elephant. In, in other words, it may seem very humble to say, well, none of us can really know the truth, and therefore, we have to all go along to get along. You know, religious pluralism, you have your piece of the pie, I have my piece of the pie, maybe we can bring it together. But you can't say that unless you actually have enough knowledge to view the whole pie, or in this case, to view the whole elephant, right? And so it appears very humble, but actually there's an, there's an arrogance to this kind of claim. But there's an even more uh, fatal issue to the story here, and it's, and it's one that's kind of disguised because it seems plausible, right? It's, it, it is plausible to think that none of us would be able to understand God, that none of us would be able to grasp God, but the parable never considers this paradigm-shattering question. The parable never considers this, what if the elephant speaks? What if the elephant opens his mouth and says, hey, that's not a fan, that's my ear, and could you please stop pulling my tail? It's not a rope. It's very annoying, actually. Right? If the elephant speaks, then it's no longer humble to pre- pretend like you don't know it's an elephant. It's actually foolish. It's dangerous. And the central claim of Christianity is that the elephant, God excuse me for referring to you as an elephant, uh, has spoken. Right? <laughs> that he has spoken. 
that he has indeed opened his mouth and said, this is what I am like. And therefore, you can't go on pretending that you don't know that God has spoken. He has chosen to reveal himself, and he's done so not just in the created world around us, not just in your conscience within you, but he's done so in his word. That God has spoken in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. And so what you have in the Bible is, is a recorded history of redemption, a recorded history of God's redemptive work and his redemptive words. And they all are revealing something of who he is. And all of them are relating to your faith and to your life uh, in this world. But as the author of the Hebrews points out, it's a treasury of truth that comes to us in different stages and in different phases, right? It is, as we've been saying, it's truth unfolded. And that's the point being made in this first verse. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? The prophets is really just shorthand for everyone in the Old Testament who mediated God's speech to humanity, right? From uh, Noah to Abraham, Moses to David, Isaiah uh, to Ezekiel, all of these men were uh, mediating the speech of God to the people of God. They were God's spokesmen, and they were revealing God's character. They were revealing his purposes. They were revealing his promises. They were speaking of, of his acts of judgment and redemption, both in the past and in the future. And so the prophets of the Old Testament were revealers of of truth. And so what this means is that our desire for truth is actually met in the pages of scripture. That when you open the word of God, you begin to find the answers to some of the biggest questions of how the really how the world really works and how you ought to live in it. You all have questions like what is uh, the nature of reality? What does it mean to be human? How do we discern between right and wrong? Where is everything headed? And if you're not asking those questions, you should be asking those questions. And, and the, the Bible offers you insight into them. It's in the, in the voices of the prophets that you actually find answers to these questions. But you might have read the Bible and you're thinking, oh, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. Right? Maybe you've read the Bible and you actually think, like, it's very hard to discern any kind of unified vision of reality in this thing. It, it seems so scatterbrained, uh, and there's so much diversity. Where is this unified structure, right? There's variety of time periods, of place, of languages. For crying out loud, one half of it's written in Hebrew and the other's in Greek. How do you call that a unified vision of reality, right? You have all these different periods. There's judges, there's kings, there's prophets, there's pre... Like, what are you talking about unity? But the author of Hebrews is not ignorant of this, right? That's, that's his opening point is that he points us immediately to the diversity of God's speech. He says that God has spoken at many times and in many ways, right? The truth that is revealed to us in Scripture doesn't come all at once, and it doesn't come all in one way. It's spread out over various times, and it comes in diverse forms. And so you have the days of the patriarchs, the days of the judges, the days of the kings, the days of exile. You have dreams, visions, theophany, words from on high, all of these variety and diversity. But what these things are pointing to is not that God's word is insufficient. They don't point to the fact that we can't make sense of it, that there is no unified vision, but they point out 
that God's revelation is progressive, that God's revelation advances and moves like a good story does, that it moves and it, and it progresses in nature. There's this unfolding to the truth that God speaks about himself. And it's a progression not from less true to more true, as if long ago means bad, but it's a progression from promise to fulfillment. And that's really the second point that we have to consider, which is not just truth unfolded, but that it is truth fulfilled. And that's what the whole, these two verses are really pulling us towards seeing this this contrast from promise to fulfillment. Notice there's a lot of contrasts. I'm just going to point out two of them. First of all, notice that there's, there's this different era. It says long ago, but now in these last days. Now, the phrase last days is not just speaking about a period of time. It's not just saying like, this happened really long ago, and now last days is, is farther along on the timeline. Last days is a very um, weighted phrase, and it's a phrase that refers to the period of fulfillment. To live in the last days is to live in the period of fulfillment. It's to live in the days after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The days when, when Jesus is making all things new. And so you and I live in the days of fulfillment. But there's another contrast, and it's the most pronounced contrast here, and that is the different um, mediators or agents of God's speech, right? He says that in the, in the long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by his servants, the prophets, but now he has spoken through his son. Now he has spoken through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's in Jesus, in the Son, that God has spoken fully, perfectly, and finally. Right? Everything that God said to the people in the Old Testament through the prophets, it foreshadowed and anticipated God's climactic word in Jesus. And so Jesus is God's final word. And as such, he clarifies and he, he embodies all that was spoken before in the prophets. Just think for a moment about some of the things that the prophets said, right? Um, Ezekiel, and think about it in relation to how Jesus is described in verse 3, right? So there's these moments in the, in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel starts to describe the glory of God. But then what does the author say in verse 3? That Jesus is the very radiance of the glory of God. Right, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he enters into the throne room of the Most High and he begins to describe God's righteousness and he describes his, his holiness and his mercy. But verse 3 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Right, Jeremiah spoke about the power of God to pluck up and to plant, but Jesus, we are told, upholds all things by the power of his word. In other words, everything that the the prophets testified to and talked about, Jesus actually embodies. That he is the full revelation of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And so he doesn't just reveal truth, he is truth. And Jesus made this clear to his disciples. You think about, there's this moment in the Gospels where he's walking along the road after his resurrection and 
with these two guys and they're they're pretty bummed out because their leader just got crucified so that's pretty disappointing right and jesus starts to to speak to them and and luke tells us that beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted them to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself right would have loved to be on that little walk on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus showed these disciples all the ways in which, as the author of Hebrews saying, everything points to the Son. That everything written by Moses and all of the prophets, it's about Jesus. And so the revelation that we have is that that was given by the prophets, it was sufficient for his time, but it always anticipated something more. It was always longing for and looking to Jesus. And that's why Paul can say in him, for all the promises of God, find their yes in him. Their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. I think at this point, I just want to to kind of head off a misunderstanding. Because you might think that by saying everything climaxes in Christ, that everything finds its completion in Christ, then everything that's spoken by the prophets before him and everything that's spoken by the apostles after him, it's like, ah, you know, that's good, but we really just want the Jesus stuff. Like, just give me the red letter Bible. You know, I I just want the red letters. You can cut out all the black letters, actually, because we want Jesus. He is the climax. He is the true prophet, right? But that's to misunderstand the point. That's not what we mean when we say that that Jesus is the climax of um, truth. The author of Hebrews is is trying to make it clear that whether it was through the prophets or whether it was through the apostles or whether it was through the Son, it is God who is speaking. In that first verse, there's all of these all of these uh, parts of speech, but the 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 central line, the, the thing on which it all holds, is God spoke. That's where everything is landing. And the point is that all of God's speech, all of God's speech given to us in the scripture is required in order to grasp the truth about God, about the world, and about yourself. But Jesus is the interpretive key to all of it. Right? You need all of scripture, but the question is, how does it all hold together? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus Christ. Everything spoken prior to, to Jesus anticipates his person and everything spoken after Jesus interprets his person but all together Jesus is at the center he is the ultimate prophet the one who reveals to us all truth the very embodiment of truth and what this means what this means is that Jesus is not just a good man Jesus is not just a captivating teacher he's not just an impressive leader he's all of those things but he's more He's the son of God, and he's the final prophet who reveals to you all that is true about God, about the world, and about yourself. And this is what really sets Jesus apart. This is what differentiates Jesus Christ from all the other prophets, whether of the secular or the religious stripe, right? Think about Muhammad. Think about Buddha. Think about Jordan Peterson. All of them say, there is the way to God, or there is the way to truth. Right, here are five pillars to observe, an eightfold path to walk, 12 rules of life to live by. And then along comes Jesus, and what does he say? He doesn't say there is the way to truth. He says, I am the truth. That is something entirely different. 
That is of an entirely different world. He's not saying here is the way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So Jesus didn't come just to give you more information. He didn't just come to give you some more things to do to try to improve your life, to try to find truth for yourself. But he heals your blindness. He removes your ignorance. And he leads you into the light of truth. He brings you to himself because he himself is truth. And so there are two implications of this reality. And it brings us to our final point, which is, is truth applied? Because if Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the one who knows and discloses the truth of God, then two things are true. To his word, we must always go. And beyond his word, we must never go. To his word, we must always go. And beyond his words, we dare not go. First of all, to his word, we must always go. Now you might think, well, this is great that Jesus is the ultimate prophet, but I can't enroll in his master class. I can't subscribe to his YouTube channel. I can't follow his podcast. So uh, how do I learn more of this teacher? Well, the good news is that he's given you his word. That if you want to hear truth, if you want to follow the prophet Jesus Christ, open up the scriptures. Because that is where he is speaking to you by his spirit through his word. Right? We said at the beginning that it's the scriptures of the, of the Old and the New Testament that you come to hear the voice of Jesus. He is the eternal word of God made flesh. And he has given you a book to guide you in this world that is, gives you everything that you need for faith and for life. And it's not just the red letters in the Gospels, right? It's, it's all of Scripture. Because Jesus is actually speaking in all of Scripture. Hear what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.11. He says that in the Old Testament, it was the Spirit of Christ who spoke through the, God, through, through the prophets. And then Jesus himself says in John 14.26 that he is sending his Spirit who will teach the, his apostles all things. So what does that mean? It means that when the prophets were speaking in the Old Testament, it was the Spirit of Christ speaking through them. When the apostles were writing in the New Testament, it was the Spirit of Christ who had taught them all things. And so no matter where you turn in the Bible, you get the Spirit of Christ. You get the voice of Jesus speaking to you and revealing to you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you want to be in the know, if you want to understand what's real, if you want to know what is right, then you have to read, you have to reflect, and you have to live according to the scriptures. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the elders, because I obey your precepts. So do you want to know truth? Do you want to be uh, more wise and possess greater insight than the teachers of our age, then hear his word and heed his word. Right? Notice what the psalmist says. Your testimonies are my meditation, and I understand more because I obey your precepts. You know, there are a lot of people in this world who know a lot about the Bible but don't obey the Bible, and so they're living in falsehood. But if you know the Bible, if you hear the Bible, if you hear the voice of Jesus and you heed the voice of Jesus, that is the way into all truth. That is the way into experiencing fullness. And so, first of all, to his word we must go, but also beyond his words we dare not go. 
Because if his word is the pathway to truth, then you probably should not travel on another path. John Calvin put it this way, outside of Christ, there is nothing worth knowing. Short and simple. Now, you might hear that and think, well, does that mean I only read the Bible? No. No, it doesn't mean that you only read the Bible. It doesn't mean you never listen to Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan. I listen to them both. I find them very interesting men. Uh, doesn't mean you never consider the ideas or the teachings of other, but what it means is that whatever word you come upon, whatever word you listen to, whatever book you read, you have to hold it up to the touchstone of Scripture. To, to not go beyond the words of Jesus is to say, whatever other words I take in, whatever prophet I listen to, if they are not resonating with what Jesus has said in his word, then they are a false prophet. Right? To acknowledge that Jesus is the ultimate prophet is to say that his word is the criterion for truth and everything must pass its test. And so as you go about your life in this world and you're trying to make sense of it all, go to Jesus as he has spoken to you in his word. Now you might say, well, I have a terribly hard time understanding his word. And the good news is that he's given us an abundance of resources, especially in the day and age in which we live. There are ways to help us to understand his word. But I want to close with this. With this, there's, there's a scene in the Gospels, and Jesus takes some of his disciples up, up on a mountain. And all of a sudden, they're on this mountain, and Jesus is transfigured, and his, his clothes become this bright, white, shining linen. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there, the, the two great prophets of the Old Testament. And, and the disciples who are with them are just, like, dumbfounded, right? They don't even know what to do. Peter says something silly about, like, uh, let's build a tabernacle or something like that. Let's build a tent, right? And then there's no answer, but then all of a sudden the cloud comes, and there's this loud, booming voice from heaven, and it says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And with that, the cloud recedes. Moses and Elijah disappear. And it says that the disciples no longer see anyone with them but Jesus only. And the voice of God still speaks to us today. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Friends, listen to him. Look to him. Hear him. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that by his word and by his spirit, he's leading you into fullness. Amen? Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you... Uh, have indeed spoken. And that all things that you have said are true and are right. Oh Lord, there is so much uh, complexity, chaos, uh, confusion in our own hearts and in the world around us. How do we make sense of it? We thank you that you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has given us his word for our preservation, for our protection. Help us uh, to heed it, to hear it, Lord. And may we grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, we ask in his name. Amen.